Today's show is brought to you by IBM. By the end of this podcast, nearly 10,000 new malware variants will have launched. Now AI can help protect your data from threats wherever it lives with IBM security. Let's put smart to work. Learn more at ibm.com smart. Today's show is brought to you by HBO. HBO's Silicon Valley is as timely as ever as Pied Piper founder Richard Hendricks pivots to build a decentralized internet free of ads and data tracking. But as the saying goes, new internet, new problems. Watch new episodes of Silicon Valley Sundays at 10 p.m. on HBO. I watch it every week. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as a lover of the great outdoors, or at least it looks great on Instagram, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today, we're going to play an interview I conducted at TechFest Northwest last month in Portland, Oregon. I talked to Patagonia CEO Rose Marcario, who has been a vocal critic of President Trump and his Secretary of the Interior, Ryan Zinke. She was previously the CFO of the tech pioneer, General Magic, and spent 15 years working in private equity. Let's take a listen. Hi, everybody. Hey, Portland. Hey, Portland. Um, uh, this is an unusual venue, I have to say. I feel, I'm like, I just so I just so you be clear, I'm the only lesbian who doesn't like sports, so. Um, <laughs> do you like sports? Yeah. No. All right, okay. So. <laughs> That makes two of us, Kara. That's what passes for a unicorn. Uh, that's what passes for a unicorn in the West Coast. Anyway, um, we're here to talk about Patagonia and what you're doing. And so I think let's start talking a bit. You have a tech background, right? Because we're going to talk a little bit about tech because it's in the news right now and, uh, and, and where it's going. But you've said a lot of things about Silicon Valley, including calling the people who run it weenies, which is one of my favorite words. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your background in tech. You, you were a tech executive before you ran Patagonia. I, I was. I worked in uh, semiconductor manufacturing, and then I became the CFO of General Magic. Mm -hmm. um, and then I worked in private equity. So General Magic was one of the original, uh, the company that really was before the iPhone. It was the company that the people that went on and made the iPod and all kinds of different things. Yeah. Um, and what was your experience in tech working there? And I want to talk about how it affects Patagonia and what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, at the time, it's, you know, it was sort of the golden age of, it was the golden age of tech. It was the 90s and there was a lot of excitement. Um, you know, it's a, it's a industry that's driven by, um, you know, VCs wanting to make a lot of money doing IPOs. Mm -hmm. And, <laughs> right. you know, they were doing a lot of concept IPOs and General Magic was one of them. And what got you out of that? Because you would think, you know, you're in tech and then it had that enormous boom through the 2000 years with the internet and things. Yeah. Well, I kind of went through a midlife crisis, you know. I was, um, I had a lot of success. I was working in private equity and I was seeing how, um, and I came out of finance, so I was seeing how, the whole system is really designed in such a way that really isn't good for people in the planet. You know, these short-term five-year exits, mm -hmm. you know, where a few investors make a bunch of money. And I was working in M&A, and you know, when companies get bought and sold, right. it's usually not a good thing, and most of the time it doesn't work, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I was studying Buddhism at the time, and I was feeling like the work that I was doing wasn't in line with my values. And mm -hmm. so... Um, I took a break and I went on retreat and I thought I was going to be a Buddhist nun and then oh. I was like, hey, I need to stay in my wheelhouse and, uh -huh. you know, take the things that I'm really good at and, and do good in the world and, um, you know, working for Yvonne, he's like, yeah. 
the king yeah. of responsible business. He would right. hate that I'm calling him a king, but it's true. So there was just so you <laughs> went you went there as CFO, yeah, and then took over as CEO. Mm -hmm. Why did you make that transition? What was between you and he? Um, he asked me to do it. <laughs> right. So you and you wanted to be CEO, presumably. You're uh, one of the few women CEOs of a large company. There's not. You can put them on your hand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it kind of happened naturally. I think we both um, we both saw businesses like should be a force for good in the world, should right. have responsibility to the planet and to community, and we felt really strongly about that. So I think, you know, I'm more of a traditional business person. Yvonne's more of an entrepreneur, and the combination of us mm -hmm. together is, I think, pretty powerful. So since you've been CEO, the revenues have risen four times, right? Correct, yeah. Something like that. So you're a good business person, mm -hmm. um, obviously. Um, talk about why you think that is, because one of the things you've been doing is sticking to this idea of, I, well, I, there's lots of words for it, but they, like essentially social business, right? Or, or a socially minded business. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I think people today, and especially like y younger people, you know, they they see what's going on, you know, they, they have more information at their fingertips than the president had, you know, mm -hmm. 15 years ago, right? Right. And they, they know what's happening to the climate. They know, it's, they know we're using the resources of the planet in such a way that we're going to use them up and murder the planet. I mean, I, I think they, they see that and they want to support businesses that are actually doing something good right. for people and the planet. And they understand that capitalism is great, mm -hmm. but it needs to morph and change and evolve into something that makes work more meaningful, people happier and healthier. And, you know, that's, that's the way that we see so, it. And we're trying to lead by so, example. So one of the things you did was sue the White House? Sue the White House. Yeah, we sued the White House over this public lands issue. Right, right. So talk about that. Yeah. I mean, okay, first of all, we've been in conservation for, yeah. you know, 30 it's years. Founding. You know, and conservation is a totally bipartisan effort. It really is. I mean, people from all walks of life care about preserving wilderness. And Trump... And Zinke did something that no, no other president has ever done, which is to reverse national monument designations of past presidents. And it is horrible mm -hmm. and illegal, we think. So we're suing him. So it, what, what was the thinking going into this? You are running a business. Yeah. You do worry about, you have, well, you're a private company, but you're, you have to think about your employees and everything else. So what was the, met, talk, walk me through how you decided, hey, I think we'll sue Trump. I mean, it's, there's so many things you could sue him on. Talk about how you thought about that from a business point of view. Well, you know, we, we've been working with conservation groups, like I said, for 30 years. And I think right. everyone saw it coming, right. that, that, that this was going to happen. They were saying it wasn't going to happen. You know, uh, Zinke was doing the sham review where he was going to look at 26 national monuments in like three months. Mm -hmm. and, and then they asked for public comment and three million public comments come in mm -hmm. and they're all in, in support of the monuments. And then they just totally ignored them and cut the monuments. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, it was unbelievable. And it's such a shock coming from this administration for lying to happen. But go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know. So, you know, we, we just, we were working with native groups in the area and friends groups that had protected these areas. Right. And it just seemed the best path to go uh, to do a lawsuit. So wh where does it go? Who do you, how do you sue the White House? What's the, what's the mechanism? Um, 
you know, we're, we're in court with other groups. Um, I think they're trying to get it moved to Utah right now. It's in the D.C. court. I hope it stays in D.C. Um, for, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's a process. And I, I, I really, you know, there's a normal congressional process for, right. for changing boundaries of monuments, but they completely bypass that. Right. If there had been a vote in Congress, they would have lost. Right. All right. So when that happened, the, then you were attacked by the government to not buy your things. Talk about that. Yeah, so something totally unprecedented happened. The Natural Resources (laughs) Committee started attacking us and telling people to boycott us. Explain this committee. uh, It's it's the Natural Resources Committee, and it's run by Rob Bishop, who's from Utah, who's funded by oil and gas. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, it's it's pretty clear that this was oil, gas, and, you know, uranium mining extraction. And they were mad that we, you right. know, that we did right. this campaign that said right. the president stole your land. But right, and they said, they said, don't buy Patagonia gear. Yeah. So we we have a government that's basically, you know, saying attacking American companies. I mean, that's what's happening all the time. That's right. what that's what dictators do. That's what despots do. Right. I mean, we we need to wake up, and companies need to stand up. Did it have an effect on your business? Sorry. Did it have an effect on your business? It had a positive effect on our business. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, meaning people bought more. Yeah, we're going to have the best year ever, Kara. Okay, good. <laughs> so, really, so really, you should say thank you, Donald Trump, for that. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm not going to say that. But. Okay, all right. Um, so, it's similar to what he's doing to Amazon right now. Yeah, he's a, yeah, I mean, he's attacking American companies that don't agree with him. I think it's, it's despicable. I, you, know, you know, business needs to stand up. They can't be quiet. You know, this is, this is what makes me mad about the tech companies right now. Right. All right. We'll talk about that because that's where I come from. Yeah. Um, so explain your weenie uh, concept. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, look, these guys, what's Zuckerberg worth? $60 billion? What, What's Larry Page worth? $100 billion? I don't know. Like, we're talking about billions of dollars. Yeah. They cre- you know, they've made so much money off this platform. I don't know. I, I, I have family in the, you know, in the military that fight for this country. And it's our democracy that's at stake. And we got attacked. And we got attacked on their platforms. And they haven't done anything about it. Mm-hmm. They won't step up and explain the problem. Mm-hmm. They, won't, they won't come out and, in plain English and say what they're doing about it. And it's pathetic. So why, That's why I say they're weenies. I'd go back even further, though, and say uh, one of the things I've been doing is chastising them for doing this, it, creating the platforms without a lot of responsibility, yeah. creating them. And I've tried different ways to try to get them to get the point. And so I've, I've moved to moving to doing superhero analogies um, because that's the only thing they understand is juvenile 12-year-old boy talk. Um, and so one of the things I say is with great power comes great responsibility, right? The <laughs> idea, which is, which they're like, oh, Spider-Man. I'm like, actually, it's Voltaire, but I'm not going to go there with you. <laughs> I'm going to just stick with Spider-Man. Yeah. You know, we'll stick with the Spider-Man movie. Um, and I don't, the part of having great responsibility is not, is lost, seems lost. Yeah. Somewhere. Why do you imagine that is? I mean, you run a company. What, what do you think happens there? Because they have so much, it's so important to the economy, for one. Yeah. It's our one big area of innovation, one of our biggest areas of innovation. It's run by three or four powerful companies. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you look at Twitter, you look at, I don't think it's just a Facebook problem, it's a Twitter problem, it's a Google problem, it's anyone who's selling ads and has a platform that people use. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was this very 
pointed effort to divide our country and um, with with real with propaganda from a foreign country. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're seeing the effects of that all over the country now, right? Right. And, you know, you can't call Facebook a community and then say, I'm the leader of this company, but I have no responsibility to what happens in the community. Mm-hmm. You know, like we think of our customers as our community. And if something's going wrong or if there's an issue, we're all over that because right. that's important to our brand. And it's also important to our relationship with our customers. Well, what's interesting is if you, one of the, I did an interview with Mark last week, and he said essentially that, that I have built this community, and he kept saying the word community quite a bit. And he said, but I don't want to sit in my office in California and make decisions about the community. And I kept saying, but you built it. And he goes, that aside, I would like <laughs> to say that I don't want responsibility. I don't want to make value judgments. I think it's probably because they don't want to make value judgments because value judgments are hard and it makes you make choices. When you have your values that you have to stick to requires you to piss people off. It requires, whatever it is, you have right. to argue about them. Right. Um, let's talk about that idea of value. Why does that not occur? I mean, uh, Patagonia has, a law, has been started like this and a lot of companies talk about this issue. How does it not, do you think it's just bullshit when these other companies are talking about it or what's what's the difficulty in doing that in applying values i i agree or defining aesthetic I, well values? you know i think you you have to have a, a guiding set of values and um i couldn't recite the mission statement of facebook i i don't know what it is to be honest but right. i i know to, ad- to addict <laughs> no it's in russian you can't read it sorry sorry <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. I, I mean, I get that. I, I get that you don't want to. You know, you don't want to culturally influence. You know how how the platform is being used. But you know, we're really careful. Like, if we go into distribution in a particular country, we make sure we kind of have that stuff figured out before we do that. We don't just go, okay, it's a free for all. You know. Right. And that's kind of what I feel has happened with Twitter and Facebook. It's like, well, it's a free-for-all, and now it's so complicated, we can't, you know. And, and I just think there's been a real vacuum of leadership. You know, I haven't seen Jack Dorsey from Twitter step up and talk about what's going on. I mean, my, my American Express card knows the second someone's stolen my ID, they can't figure out who is not a legitimate user. Mm-hmm. You know, that seems to me they have a lot of smart people over there. They should be able to figure that out. Mm-hmm. And they've said nothing about it. I don't know what they've done. Whatever they're doing, they're doing behind the scenes, and they're not, they're not leading and talking about it. Right. So if you were running one of these companies, then I want to get into some of the other stuff you guys are doing. Um, what would you do? What would be the first thing you'd do? I asked this of Tim Cook. There's a show on tonight on MSNBC. <laughs> I saw that, yeah. And he said, I wouldn't be there in the first place. I wouldn't have gotten myself in this situation, which was mm-hmm. a great burn on Mark, uh, which everyone's writing about. Um, we talked about, by the way, we talked about education and immigration and all kinds of important issues. Issues. Everyone focused yeah. in on the cat fight in Silicon Valley. Um, but what, I asked him this, what would you do if you were Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey slash Google YouTube? Well, if I was Mark, I, obviously I wouldn't have come out and said, this is all crazy, like the day after the election, and then, and then not come out for months. And, you know, I think he released like a hostage video of himself like th- three months later. Yes. Yeah. And, you, you know, know, it was an interesting, you should go watch the video <laughs> because he, he has a light like that you buy at Ikea, essentially, yeah. uh, that was sort of shining on him. And I actually texted them, I'm like, buy him a light, like buy him lighting. I think you have money. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that the, the, I would not be afraid to, cl- to shut down things that I felt were out of control, okay. even if it was going to cost us money 
or ad revenue or whatever, I would clamp down if we didn't have control over something or we felt like something was way out of our, you know, out of our control. And I think the community and your customers would have understood that, right? right? After this huge thing happens, our country gets attacked. Right. I think the customers would have been like, okay, that makes me feel like you've got it. You're doing something about it or you don't have it all figured out. Right. So shut it down. I would then... have shut down the things that I felt like were same thing with Twitter, you know? Um, so, and, and I think it's a cultural thing, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I think that, um, and I would have communicated with a lot more transparency mm-hmm. about what was known and what was not known right after the election. I would have gone up to the Hill uh, and, and talked about you know, and, and, and honestly, Kara, the, that, that community of rich, smart, most of them are guys, yeah. should, should have come together and said, this is what we're going to do about this problem, because we're all facing it, right. and we need to fix it because our democracy is at stake. Right. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break now for a word from our sponsors. We'll be back in a minute with Rose Marcario, the CEO of Patagonia. Today's show is brought to you by HBO, and today in the red chair is Russ Hanneman. He's one of Silicon Valley's most notorious investors, and he's recently emerged as an aggressive player in the cryptocurrency market. Welcome to the podcast, Russ. Thank you, Kara, and you're welcome, by the way. Uh, For what, exactly? What do you mean, for what? I I basically invented the podcast. (laughs) For what? You invented the podcast? I put radio on the internet. That sounds like a fucking podcast to me. Not that I'm making shit off it. That actually brings me to my first question. The standard internet funding and sales models have served you pretty well over the years, but now you're jumping feet first into ICOs. Why? Kara, this town is filled with assholes getting rich off crypto by doing jack. The Winklevoss twins put in some loose change five years ago. Now they're Bitcoin billionaires. So yeah, I'll buy a ticket for that fucking ride. You don't feel like you've already missed getting in on the ground floor? If I could change the past, I I wouldn't have a kid at home right now snorting up my ADHD meds. I can only focus on the future. H-O-D-L, bitches. So I'm hearing you already have taken 36 companies to ICO. How have you fared so far? Well, you know, I'll be honest, Kara. It's been down, you know? It's been up. It's, It's been mostly down. You know, 35 of them have, you know, fucking tanked. 35 out of 36, what happened? I mean, this is, this is the game, all right? First, it's the SEC. Then it's one of your founders running away with your cash. Then it's a bunch of fucking hackers deciding that instead of edging in their basements that afternoon, they're going to come after your blockchain. Then one of your CEOs dies like a pussy. Anyway, listen, I'd rather focus on my successes. My success. One of them worked. And what was your ROI on the one that worked? Radio on internet? No, return on investment. Return on investment. Yeah, I know. It's 300M, all right? That's a million. And it's on some thumb drive in the middle of a landfill. My boys are on it, though. You ever lose a drive with a ton of crypto on it? No, Russ, I haven't. Yeah, you have. Uh, no. But thanks for coming on the show, and good luck with that thumb drive. Watch new episodes of Silicon Valley Sundays at 10 p.m. on HBO. Let's talk about that idea of leadership or what it means to be a leader going forward, because a lot of the stuff that's coming— um, in terms of jobs, and it's a big interest of mine. Um, jobs, automation, robotics, uh, AI, is going to change the way we work. Mm-hmm. But I'd love to hear from you about how you think about where work is going, work, and some of the things you all are investing in. I'm interested in the food stuff, which we'll yeah, talk about. Yeah. And by the way, we're going to get some questions from the audience, so there's some things here, so please ask questions. Don't sit there and not ask questions, because this is an amazing CEO to talk to. Um, so talk about the, being a leader, what it takes going forward. What are the things you're thinking about as a, as a business leader? Well, I mean, we're thinking about um, how to save the planet, I mean, with our business. So 
Right. <laughs> you know, so so we're thinking about galvanizing our community. You know, we just launched this um, this thing called Patagonia Action Works, which we've been giving to grassroots environmental organizations for 30 years. And um, they're really small groups. They're local. They're in your communities. Because a lot of what people were saying to me after the election was like, what can I personally do? Mm-hmm. So we created this digital platform in-house where people can you know, um, volunteer, they can be matched to volunteer for these organizations and um, start to understand the issues that are really local to them, like um, protection of air, water, and soil. Because with Scott Pruitt at the head of the EPA, we're going to have a lot of problems with... Well, for another few hours. Basic... (laughs) Yeah, well... I love how we're all like, oh, I wonder if he'll make it. Like, (laughs) not seeing this reality show, he's going to be walking out and... I, don't know. I mean, you, you need to get really involved in your local communities because, like, your water supplies are getting compromised, your air quality is getting compromised, and you need to get involved at a really detailed level in your communities, and that's, that's why we built Patagonia Action Works, and it's a digital community, and it's a digital community of activists for the environment. So you also have a venture fund, correct? Yeah, yeah. So talk, and that's focused on eco-friendly? Or? Yeah, it's focused on companies that are solving the environmental crisis through um, business. And it's also, it also helps in developing supply chains, you know, because the, the expensive thing is developing new supply chains. I mean, we're using the resources of uh, almost two planets right now. If uh, China and India consumes at the rate that we're all consuming, then we'll be using the resources of five planets. It's game over, I mean, for human beings and our big mammals, and we're big mammals, as Yvonne likes to say. So we need to do something about it, and business could do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, business could be the transformational um, change, um, but it requires leadership and people to step up. And that's that's what kind of concerns me about all this all this, you know, money and value that has been created in the tech industry, but I don't, you know, everybody's just worrying about self-driving cars and, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you have a problem with self-driving AI. cars? I, I, I don't know. I, I like driving my car, but, you know. Okay. Yeah. It is a, a, more eco-friendly to have self-driving cars. <laughs> it is actually. I, I don't, yeah, I don't have a problem with it, but, you know, it's sort of like they're, bi- they're really big problems, and most of them are supply chain problems, like mm-hmm. renewables and, yeah. Yeah. So talk about that, and I do, I'm going to get into people to also asking and then ask more questions, just one sec. Um, so you're also doing renewables of your clothing. Yeah, I mean, we, we take responsibility from our product from end to end. So we, we, um, we have a repair center um, in Reno, Nevada, where we repair, and we also repair in our stores. So if your jacket, you know gets torn or whatever, we'll, we'll repair it. And, um, and then we also have a marketplace to sell um, used clothing, so we'll take your used clothing back. Um, and if it's totally worn out, we'll um, recycle it. So we, we do t- take responsibility for a product from end to end, which I think, you know, I think the a younger consumer, they want you to be responsible for your mm-hmm. product in that way. Um, so we're doing that. And... Um, and, you know, we're not going to have virgin materials after a certain time because there right. won't be any more stuff, right. you know, and any more stuff to extract. So we're going to get good at this. Yeah, you got, we got to get good at these new supply chains. And so that's kind of what I see, you know, in terms of the future. What are you most worried new economy, about? What are you, you know? most worried about as a leader running a company now? Right now? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I think that um, the the overall um, quarterly mentality of and and I say this having been a CFO, you know, who who worked to get quarterly results, and I think it's a disaster. I think it's going to kill us if we, you know, if you know, 
nothing happens quarterly, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> you know, right. and there's this obsession around quarterly results, and I feel like it's gonna if if we don't change that um, as business people, um, and and whenever I talk to CEOs of big companies, I tell them go after that. Right. That's the important thing. Like mm-hmm. we have to start thinking long term. We need to think in longer time frames, so we don't destroy the planet in the short term. And, um, and I, so I think that's a big part of it. Like we, we need to change the way, we don't need to like dismantle capitalism. I think capitalism is great, mm-hmm. but it needs to change and evolve mm-hmm. because our world is changing and evolving. Are you uh, optimistic that will happen? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, I... It's a no, right? That's no, you know what? I feel, really, I feel really optimistic about, like, these generations that are coming up. I agree. Because they're not so entrenched in the status quo, and they're really smart and have a lot of information at their fingertips. Yeah. Like, you look at what happened at Parkland. Yeah. I was standing in front of my television crying because these activists were so articulate. Right. I thought, I could never be that articulate yeah, yeah. at 15. One of the things... I will get to the question in a second. Uh, one of the one of my favorite parts is watching them dismantle old people on the internet. It's like I think Charlie Daniels, his son. Let me tell you, and he's on Twitter. I'm like, oh my god, Charlie Daniels, stop! This kid's yeah. gonna kill you. And then the kid killed him. It's like I was like, don't dude, stay away. They're real good at this social media stuff. Yeah, and the and the hi- idea of the hierarchical yeah. structure is yeah. gone, and some people don't really get that. No, they you know? swarm. They're good at swarming. They're good at memes. It's it. Just, yeah. But it's so enjoyable to watch Ted Nugent under. Just sit there like, what? You know. Yeah, out of touch. Out of touch, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, question right here. Hi, Rose. Hi. Uh, hi, I'm Natalia. I'm uh, part of the German Bavarian delegation. And uh, we organized the first European FitTech Summit in Munich in July, where maybe this might be a good platform for you to spread your ideas. And so my actual question is, um, you are one of the leaders who acknowledge the importance of mindfulness mm-hmm. and meditation and Buddhist practices. So how do you think... Can mindfulness change the leadership practices worldwide? What should we do about that? Yeah, I'm doing Headspace right now. Yeah, you know, I think... Do you use any apps? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's... A lot of people are using it in the workplace now. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very personal decision. I feel kind of, you know, honestly, I feel kind of strange talking about it because it's such a personal thing. But, you know take away the idea of mindfulness and think about responsibility. And I think we, we all need to be responsible for what's going on right now. And um, I was listening to Christiane Amanfort talk, at, and she said, democracy has grown fat and lazy. Mm-hmm. And it's so important to engage in civil society. And that, to me, feels like what people need to do, and that's a mindful thing to do, you know? Thank you. So. Do, you do you have that at your company? Uh, do you, what do you do? You offer that, or do you? Th- a lot of companies are doing that now. Yeah, I mean, people do. We let Patag- at Patagonia people do whatever they want to do. You know, they right. can surf, they can have a meditation group, they can do whatever they want. Right, but as part of a corporate policy, <laughs> we don't you, have corporate policies about okay. things like that. Okay, all right, okay, all right. So they don't like you don't do any. We don't wellness. have many corporate policies. No. All right, okay, all right. Okay, I'm, I'm working. I'm working at Patagonia. Sorry. Hey there, Rose. Uh, my name is Matt Vollm. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Tally. Um, we're building a voice-driven time-tracking application on Amazon Alexa. I am a first-time founder along with the other two guys on my team. So as a wonderful leader, um, I'm, one, I'm wondering what's the last, I guess, mistake you've made as a leader or what's the biggest learning you have over your career that myself, my team, and I think all the other um, you know, early founders here could uh, learn from and um, hopefully use as we march forward down our entrepreneurial path. 
Yeah, that's a great question. I ask all the people I do on my podcast. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not a founder. Um, you know, Yvonne is a founder, and I've asked him this question before. No, and but I'm, I want to know your mistakes. I want to also, this is really good advice, all right. which is it is that you make sure that you don't promote someone who's not ready to be promoted. That's probably the biggest mistake he would say he's made. Now, he said that to me, and he promoted me to CEO. So, um, But, yeah, for me, I, I think it's, for me, it was as becoming CEO, it was underestimating uh, the responsibility of being a leader and how much people really look at your actions yep. every minute of every day. Yep. And, and it took me a long time to really that get... That your voice is loudest in the room. Yeah, it took me a, a while to get that. I don't know if that's because women are kind of like you know, conditioned to not do that, although I've never really yeah, followed you don't that, seem, like you. You don't, you don't seem shy to me. <laughs> yeah. um, but, when you, but that is an important thing, is that you didn't, yeah. that you didn't assert yourself in the way that you... No, I feel, I feel like I didn't, I didn't realize how much, uh, you know, employees were looking to me to set the tone and the leadership. And, you know, you have to spend time doing that. You have to spend time uh, explaining why you're going to go take that hill and why it's important. Right. And also that you're not on the same level, presumably, because I think a lot of people say we're all the same, but it's really not true, correct or not? Uh, I don't feel that way about my employees. I mean, I feel like we're all a but team. you're the leader. But, but yeah, for sure. Right. For sure. And I feel a great responsibility in that. So, you know, I, I don't, I, women leaders always have to get asked this about how they are as a woman leader, but how did the, when the, the Me Too thing, obviously, is, is still ongoing. There was just another appalling story yeah. about uh, Richard Meyer uh, in the, and then there was one at the Justice Department. There's so many. Um, wh what did you think of when this all started to emerge, even though women knew it forever? Yeah, I mean, I think I was listening to all the stories and listening to women share their stories, and it made me very, you know, think about my own life and mm -hmm. the kinds of experiences that I had. And I thought it was in, you know, I was blown away by how much Hollywood was sort of, you know, how, how bad it was, you right. know. Like Salma Hayek's piece where she said, you know, he threatened to kill her or something. I mean, like, right. it was so out of hand and so terrible. So I think I just, I felt a lot of empathy for it. I think that it needs to be said. It's... Had you had that happen? Did you have an experience? You know, I had an experience that I never thought of that way, but then I, I heard someone talking and I thought, you know, I, I think that's kind of what happened. I was very young and the person was a lot older. A, a sexual harassment thing. Yeah. But I think a lot of them are more um, subtle. So It was subtle, yeah. Yeah, not, and not necessarily a sexual harassment. It's a sex remark, which is interesting. Um, I'll never forget when I came back from uh, being pregnant, and I had broken all the stories before I left. And the, one of the main uh, top editor at the Wall Street Journal said, now you'll need more time. And I said, for what? And they're like, uh, and I go, what do I need more time for? Why do I need more time now? And they were like, uh, I said, because it can't be because I had a baby, because that would be sexist. <laughs> and, and he was like, uh, I go, because you've had many children, right? And uh, did you need more time? It was really, it was yeah, really awkward yeah. and awful conversation. That I made it as awkward and awful as possible. Um, <laughs> but it was an interesting... It was, Oh, it was well, good. it's funny, you know, we offer on-site childcare and the founders started it like 30 years ago, but, right. you know, and we have total gender parity in our company, you know, 50% women, 50% men, and, and, and I think that is because we have on-site childcare yeah. and, and, and women were allowed to kind of continue their careers. Yeah. And when I worked in Silicon Valley, you know, they had foosball tables and cappuccino machines and, you know, ping pong tables, but there was no comfortable place for a nursing mother to nurse. Right, right. 
that's exactly true. That says something about Silicon it Valley, does. that there isn't a, you know, on-site childcare. At, Some places they have yeah. it. There's more and more yeah. as they're having children. But yeah, you're right. It's not the first. The foosball tables are critical um, <laughs> to... They also have slides, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. First time well, I, I haven't been there in a while. When, so. I, uh, when I got to Silicon Valley, this was a while ago, they had a slide and, um, and they said, I'll never forget this, they go... Go down the slide. I think it was at Excite. Excite. Remember that company? Yeah, yeah. No, no, you don't. Blink and you'll miss it. Company. And they had hundreds of millions of dollars in funding, and they chose to use their money to build a slide. Um, and so they go, Kara, ride the slide. And I, from the second to the first floor, and I said, no, I'm not riding your slide. And they're like, everybody rides a slide. I said, I'm not riding your fucking slide. I'm an adult. Like, I, don't, I didn't like slides at eight. I'm not going to like them at 40. And it was like this long discussion about my lack of ability to ride a slide, uh, which was interesting. We're going to take another break for a word from our sponsors. We'll be back with Patagonia CEO Rose Marcario after this. Today's show is brought to you by IBM. We live in a world that's creating AI-enabled everything, a world with more IoT devices than people. Today, technology has never been smarter, but smart only matters when you put it to work where it matters. When we put smart to work, we can help save species, increase crop yields, and make progress, not just for a few of us, but for all of us. So let's get to it. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com smart. I'd also like to tell you about one of our other podcasts, Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Peter, who'd you talk to this week? I talked to Josh Topolsky, who, among other things, is the CEO of The Outline. He's someone you used to write about back when he was at Vox and you were not at Vox. He's doing a cool and sort of uh, counterintuitive media company right now called The Outline. He's got really interesting thoughts about Vox and the media and Michael Bloomberg, what it's like to fight with Mike Bloomberg in Mike Bloomberg's office and then get fired. It's a good conversation. You will enjoy listening to it. Sounds great, Peter. You can find Recode Media on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So let's talk about, finish talking about, a little bit about, we just got a few minutes, and other questions from the audience, please avail yourself to Rose. Um, uh, the food thing you're doing. You're, yeah. you, you sell jackets, which is your biggest, <laughs> right? Puppy, yeah. Puppy sweaters, essentially. Yeah. Um, you sell equipment and things like that. Um, talk about the food thing. What, is, what are you doing with the food well, in, in 2012, we started a food company called Patagonia Provisions because Yvonne and I were, Yvonne's always been interested in food and he's kind of, he's tried to do it a few times, but we felt like, you know, the biggest thing that we can do for the environment is work on uh, food and agriculture mm-hmm. um, because, you know, the reality is industrialized agriculture has um, created an incredible amount of damage, mm-hmm. um, especially in the U.S. because it's mostly chemical agriculture. And, um, and organic agriculture is sort of being co-opted by people who don't care to keep the standards high. So we're kind of in there to agitate and educate and keep innovating in that space and build supply chains. And it might be the best hope also for climate change and uh, sequestration of carbon. So um, we're, you know, if, if we transformed in everything to organic regenerative agricultural practices and got away from chemical and industrial practices, we could uh, basically sequester, according to Rodale Institute, like 100% of our CO2 emissions, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's pretty exciting, you know, that the, the, the scary part is that, you know, three chemical companies own 75% of all the seed and all the pesticides. Um, so we're kind of, you know, people feel held hostage by them and we're going to try and 
like create ca capital, create uh, you know a, a certification, and create uh, a business environment where the good players can thrive. So you're you're selling the food in order to create the business. And yeah, and we're working on creating certifications that can you know help farmers kind of evolve their practices and things like that. But the things you're selling are mostly for camping, correct? Or what? Um, they're they're mostly shelf stable stuff right now, and now right. we're kind of rolling rolling out more products. Yeah. So, what do you imagine? You, do you want to be a grocery store or? Um, I don't know what the di the right distribution model is because um, we probably wouldn't have big format grocery stores. But um, yeah, I mean we're we're um, what we really want to do is kind of bring the in organic industry together to help solve some of these problems. Because right now it's the big chemical companies that have the biggest voice, you know, in in Washington. Just like the big oil companies have the biggest voice on public lands and drilling. You know, we're, we're like the outdoor industry is like a huge industry, but we don't right. spend any money on lo lobbying, you know? Right. And like <laughs> the oil industry spends like hundreds of millions well, was, of dollars a year. What's interesting is that I guess REI has more members than the NRA by far, Yeah. but doesn't do anything. No, our, you know, our industry really came together on public lands. I mean, yeah. I had like, you know, our biggest competitor, the North Face sitting next to me, REI, you know, and we, we were calling the governor of Utah together. I mean, I think that's that to me is leadership. It's what I wish we'd see more of, of, you know, from the tech world. Right. So you, I want to finish up talking about, I want to get back to that. When you think about where re, you guys sell in your stores, how many yeah. stores do you have? Um, we have about, well, it depends on whether you include single brands, but say around the world, uh, you know, about 150. Is that going to be the way you're going to sell your goods? Going well, we're forward? selling a lot of Online. I mean, online. Our, our fastest yeah. growing businesses are online business. So. so talk about that because you have Amazon sort of. Yeah. Well, we don't sell on Amazon. Um, there's a lot of gray market on Amazon or resellers on Amazon, uh -huh. but we don't want them to have our data and we don't really believe in the algorithmic, you know, model where I think they do like 800,000 price changes a day or something, right. you know, and they keep tra trying to push people down to the lowest price. And that's what's happening to organic, you know, since they, they got Whole Foods. It's like they just keep pushing these small organic brands you know, to, to lower their prices and lower their prices. And, you know, I talked to a lot of them. I went to Expo West, which is the biggest food show. And a lot of these CEOs of these brands were telling me, like, it's not worth it for me to be on Amazon, mm -hmm. you know, because they just keep calling me and telling me to lower my price. Mm -hmm. So now they're thinking about different models. And, you know, I think that you will talk about What are the different models if it's not Am cause Amazon? Well, I think has it's other marketplaces. You know, right. like if I had an alternative to Facebook to keep in touch with my relatives back east, I, I would be using it right now, right? It's, it's called a letter, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or email, you know, yeah. Yeah, I agree. But, yeah. you know, it's sort of like if there was a viable alternative, I think I would be using it now just right. based on how the companies have responded. And um, so I think, you know, creating viable alternatives and new markets. To your, to your distribution. Where do you imagine you'll be selling your goods in 10 years? Cause you've got well, we're, we're expanding a lot internationally, you know, because we've been in the U.S. for 45 years. So um, we're, we're expanding a lot um, internationally and we're taking our value system there and mm -hmm. uh, we're getting involved in local environmental activism and issues and yeah. So continuing to, to yeah. sell the way you do, but online or what? Yeah, and I what, think our food business could end up being, you know, just as big as our apparel business or bigger in the right. coming years. Right. Um, last question. And then again, is there any, there's a question over here from, first from the audience. Oh, over here? Go ahead. Yeah. Hi. I have a question for both of you. Um, I was wondering if you might be able to give some advice to young women who may be considering a career in tech. Huh. And I think that... Um, You've raised a couple of points that are really 
challenging in the sense that you're both um, so prominent in your industries, but do you see value in having more women join the big companies that we're, we're sort of talking about when we're talking yeah. about Silicon Valley's monolithic power um, concentrated in large companies? What advice would you give to women who are considering joining those companies to change from within, or do you think it's better to go and start your own thing and be, and be independent in that way, as you've so successfully done. You first. Oh, you know, I, I think that you can make a lot of change inside of a big company. If, if you're willing to speak up and, um, you know, galvanize and evangelize, I think you can. I mean, it, it's harder for sure. But I, I do think it's possible and healthy to do that. And I know I did it in the big companies that I was at. I was often the, times the only woman in the room. And, you know, I think I helped change some things just by, you know, offering a different point of view and talking about what was missing that should have been there. And, yeah, so I think it's possible. I, I do think it's possible to change. And yeah, because you've stayed in those companies. Yeah. I do not think that. I think... <laughs> I think that you have to be your own boss. I, start, I left a, a very good job at the Wall Street Journal uh, because I hated being an employee. I was a bad employee. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought the people I worked for largely white guys, not because they were white guys. And by the way, I have two sons who are very lovely white guys. Um, <laughs> I just didn't want to be their employee and I thought they were stupid. And so I could, <laughs> you can't live like that. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Going home, I'm working for such idiots. Um, and so I decided to start my own thing um, because I felt like if you're the boss, you can make decisions um, mm. and that you can, you can make mistakes and you can make errors and everything else. And, but you have to, if you're the boss, it goes on you, especially about how you're going to do things. Everything from when I was at the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post, uh, both great, uh, well, not the Wall Street Journal, but the Wall Street Post is a great newspaper. Um, but um, it used to be a great newspaper, the Wall Street Journal. Um, <laughs> but... Um, you could make your own decisions, and like I, they would be very snipey with, at, at many. At, this is a stupid journalism thing, but people fight between each other for turf inside of a thing. So yeah. I could just make a rule: we're not doing that. All the reporters share, and I literally had a young reporter come to me today. I've never worked at somewhere where everybody cooperates, and it was just because we said so. Yeah. So whatever yeah. we want to say happens, and I think that's one good thing. Um, the other part is I just don't care for other people's opinions. So I don't know. I don't know. I just don't. And so it's just, I don't want to like come to, come to a group decision and then not be able to make the decision. Yeah. You know what I yeah. think? So I think women do not take, become the boss. Being the boss is a really good thing. And that women do not as much. They just do not. It's simply as simple as that. And so mm -hmm. if you run things, you, you can do things. You can get things happen. That's, I feel like that yeah. happens. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just a bad employee, so if you're a bad employee, be a boss. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the boss of you. All right, we're going to finish up. We're almost done here, Rose. Um, talk about where you think, because uh, one of, again, as I said, one of the big things to me is all these big technological changes that are coming are massive, yeah, yeah. massive, massive, massive. When you think um, about how you're going to have an impact, um, do you think about running for public office? Do you think, what is the best way for people to have impact? now from your, besides being loud on Twitter, 
Uh, I mean, I think it's really, you know, are you talking about just generally people? General. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, we're already seeing like a lot of people who wouldn't normally have been running for office or running for office and they're doing really well and, you know, they're speaking the truth and they're being fearless and, and that's really inspiring to me to see that. I think we're seeing younger people get more engaged in civil society around voting. I mean, if young people just voted, yeah, um, we'd have... You know, I think a much better world of people engaged in that way, you know. Right. And what about, have you ever thought about running for office? Oh, I'm a, I think I'd be a terrible politician. Why? Um, Anybody can do it now, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the truth, but go ahead. I, I just, I think I'm better d at doing what I do. And, well, what you know, would you do if you weren't doing this? Uh, I'd probably be writing and, you know, doing other things, yeah. Do you yeah. regret not becoming a Buddhist nun? Uh, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> what is that job? But now I don't. What is the job? Because I have Buddhist a great nun? girlfriend now. So. All right, okay, all right. Are Buddhist nuns not allowed to marry? Well, yeah, they're not. Oh, okay, I didn't know. No. I'm not depending up on, my, on the, yeah. yeah I'm not up on my Buddhist nun information, <laughs> sorry. It's um, all right, Kara. That's okay. Um, but you wouldn't do, you would, would you do anything else? Um, like what's next after Patagonia? Yeah. God, I, I, well, what would you do if you weren't doing? Yeah, I, I don't the know. Writing? I, yeah, I think I'd be writing. I, I really, I really have been very involved in the benefit corporation movement, and I would really like to what see. What is that? That is. It's, it's, um, it's the idea that business has a responsibility to people and the planet, and it's a legal designation. A lot of companies are becoming B corps. There's probably some in the room right now, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, and it's, it's really exciting. It's kind of a grassroots movement around what kind of the new capitalism and new economy can be. And I'm super excited about that because you need an alternative to the quarterly madness. And, um, and I, I like it. Okay. I think it's good. Um, and then last, uh, last thing, are you optimistic, pessimistic? What, how would you describe your mood right now? Um, I feel really energized by um, just, I think there's so much ener good energy galvanized right now, um, activist energy. And activist energy changes the world. You just have to look at it historically and you can see that it's true. Mm -hmm. And some fights take a long time, you know? I mean, Yvonne and Melinda, you know, our founders have been fighting these environmental battles for 46 years. And, you know, they win some, they lose some. It's just part of it. And you have to just keep going and you have to keep focused on it. And so, yeah, I'm optimistic that we, we have a lot of more tools, technology tools, community tools now. Uh, we're not licking stamps and phone banking like we were, you know, yep. years ago. And I think, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're excited about this new ActionWorks um, platform because we're seeing tons of engagement. Mm -hmm. Lots of volunteer hours, people giving money to these organizations, and real engagement. So I'm excited about that. I think that can be really exciting in scale. And um, it, the right brands that do the right thing will, will win in the end, I think. Great. Rose. Thank you, Kara. Thank you. It was fun. Thank Thanks again to Rose Marcario for talking to me on stage and to the organizers of TechFest Northwest for hosting us. If you enjoyed this interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. You can find more episodes of Rico Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts, or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. And if you have a minute, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell other people about the show. That helps them discover great interviews like this one. Now that you're done with this, you should check out our other Recode Radio podcasts, 
On Recode Media with Peter Kafka, you're hearing no-nonsense interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I also host Too Embarrassed to Ask, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference and Code Media. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. And thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Saturday. Tune in then. Today's show is brought to you by IBM. 16 million new-collar jobs will be created by 2024. To help fill them, IBM's new education model gives high school students workplace experience and an associate's degree. 90 P-TECH schools are already preparing graduates for tomorrow's STEM careers. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com slash P-TECH. Today's show is brought to you by HBO. New internet, new problems. HBO's Silicon Valley takes its too-real satire of tech culture to the next level this season as Richard Hendricks pivots his startup to develop a decentralized internet. It turns out the road to an autonomous peer-to-peer network is paved with misguided car purchases, stealth acquisitions of pizza apps, and lots of public puking. And, of course, an ICO. No one said launching a startup was easy, but it sure is funny. Get new episodes of Silicon Valley Sundays at 10 p.m. on HBO. 